Well, tonight we gather to remember that our Lord Jesus Christ was falsely convicted and sentenced to be crucified upon a Roman cross where He innocently suffered a criminal's death. Crucifixion is, was, is regarded as the most horrendous, gruesome way to die. It was slow, painful, yet our Lord, He went willingly to the cross. There's no amount of suffering that can compare to the injustice that was inflicted on our Lord. The only man who's worthy of our praise, the only man to live perfectly in obedience to God's good rule and reign. Yet, we gather tonight on an evening that we call good. And we call good this evening because God made what man intended for evil, He made good. You see, Jesus died for sins of His people once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that we might be reconciled to God. And for sinners, friends, this is very good news. Tonight, I'm going to be briefly preaching from Galatians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open to Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And when you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. I ask, God, that You would soften our hearts to a greater understanding of who You are and specifically what it is You accomplished on the cross. God, we ask that You would lead us to greater faith, that You would lead us to a place in which if there's areas in our life that we need to repent or whether those folks here tonight that don't know You, would You give them the gift of faith that they might know You and love You and and follow You. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight. God, You are our rock and our Redeemer. We love You and we give You all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight's title of this message is Our Cursed Christ. And my goal this evening is to answer one simple question but profound question, and it's what did Jesus do on the cross? The cross was an instrument of execution, much like the modern electric chair, yet the, this instrument of execution has become a universal symbol for Christianity. Many decorate their homes with crosses. We adorn our, our necks with crosses as, as jewelry. Why? Why do we gather on a Friday night and 
in addition to Easter Sunday? Why do we gather as Christians and sing songs about fountains that are filled with blood and bloody crosses? Why do we eat bread that symbolizes a man's broken body? Why do we drink juice that symbolizes our Savior's blood in which He poured out on the cross? Why, what was it that Jesus did on the cross all those years ago that resulted in such a profound and lasting impact? There have been several different answers to this question over the years. Some have looked to the cross as an example of religious dedication. They say that Jesus' death is the supreme example and the perfect illustration and realization of what God requires from each of us to obey Christ's teachings. In other words, there's this saying that as we follow Jesus, the cross teaches us how to be principled in our dedication to God. That's one view. Others have answered over the years this question by saying that Jesus' death on the cross served as an inspiration for how we are to love and how we are to be kind to others. To, to know how to love, we are to look to the cross. In other words, they would say Jesus' death was a powerful testimony of how much God loves us and how we are to love others with, with the same intensity uh, that Christ loved that led Him to the cross. In other words, the cross, they would say, is sentimental. It points to God's unconditional love. And then there's others that have answered this question by saying that Jesus was, was proving to us that He can relate to our pain. The cross shows that, that suffering is sacred and when we suffered, we should do so courageously as Jesus did when He went to the cross. And, and finally, others, they have simply looked to the cross with pity and they saw Jesus as a good man and a young man a man who didn't deserve necessarily to die and they feel sad and sentimental and they look to Jesus as a, as a martyr, a wonderful martyr. But friends, these answers do not give us the reason for which Jesus died on the cross and they definitely do not answer what Jesus accomplished on the cross. They, they don't sufficiently explain. Was He simply showing us how to live? Was He simply showing us how to love? Was His death simply a powerful testimony to us? Was His death a beautiful inspiration to us? Well, I don't believe these sentiments fully answer the question. They don't fully explain what Jesus accomplished. And so we look to our text, and we see here that Paul does, he answers this question, what did Jesus do on the cross? And he provides an answer, but before he does, he first explains to us why he did what he did. Before the what, he explains the why. So look back at verse 10. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Well, we have to understand first, what are the works of the law? We have to think back to when God gave commandments and, and requirements through Moses. God gave His people moral laws such as the Ten Commandments they ha in which there were ceremonial laws that, that specified how we are to worship and how they were to sacrifice and what sacrifices to make and what foods they were to eat and not eat, what festivals they were to celebrate and, and further and more. And, and then He gave them civil laws that outlined procedures and what to do um, when there was a crime committed, how to punish a murderer or a thief or what to do when someone commits adultery. And so collectively, these 
commandments and moral and civil laws collectively make what is called the law. And in verse 10, Paul specifically is talking about these, these Old Testament laws in which God had given through Moses. And Paul, he begins to answer our question here by telling us what the law was unable to do. He says the law, it cannot provide life. The law cannot give you salvation. It cannot bring righteousness or make you righteous before God. But the thing is, the law was never meant to do any of those things. The law was given so that we might be able to see how futile we are, how weak we are, how sinful we are. You see, the law, it demands perfect obedience. And God gave the law so that we might see how sinful to the core we are and how desperately we need a Savior. Ultimately, the law, it exposes our sin. The law shows us who, who we are and who we are not. It shows us that we cannot be perfect. In other words, the law was given to us to make our sins obvious. Think about it like this. My kid has a sinful heart, but his heart isn't obvious until I give him a command. Until I say, son, do not do this, and he looks at me and says, or I, until I look at him and say, son, do this, and he looks at me and says, no, <laughs> his sin is then put on display. It's then that his sin becomes obvious. The command that I give him brings his disobedient heart to the surface when he refuses to obey. And in the same way, the law of God lays bare our sinful hearts. The law confronts our disobedience. The law shines a light on our sin. The law leaves us exposed. Now understand, there's nothing wrong with God's law. The law is not bad. In fact, the law is a reflection of God's perfect character. It is holy that He is right, that God is righteous, that He is good, and we should strive to obey the law. We should strive to pursue righteousness as we follow Christ. We should strive to pursue justice. We should strive to pursue holiness, to grow in our likeness of Christ, to grow in our love for others. In other words, the problem that Paul is pointing out is not the law. The problem isn't a desire to obey the law. That's a good thing. The problem occurs when we trust in ourselves to obey the law. The problem occurs when we rely on our own ability to keep God's law. Look back to verse 10 again, and let's read through verse 12. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the law, or written in the book of the law, is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. In other words, Paul is saying, look, the religious approach is not going to work. If you think that you can find salvation, if you think you can get it right based on your own ability to keep God's law and based on your own ability to be good and moral and upright, friend, Paul says, you're going to fail. You can't do it. He says, this is a, a dead-end street. Now, you might be thinking, but John, I'm a pretty good person. I mean... I'm nowhere near as bad as other people. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew or date girls that do. I'm doing pretty well. I grew up in church. I only watch Christian movies. I only listen to Christian music. 
And friend, the only, not only is your taste in movies and music subpar, our text is clear. If you're relying on your own works, if you're relying on your own morality, if you're relying on your own goodness, or even what family you came from, if you're relying on your parents' faith or, or your pedigree, the Bible says clearly here in Galatians 3 that you're cursed. Why? Verse 10 says that everyone who does not perfectly obey the law is cursed. Because none of us can perfectly obey God's law. That's the point. Now maybe you're thinking, okay, I get it. I get it. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. But do I really deserve to be cursed? Do I really deserve eternal damnation? Do I, do I deserve eternal separation from God? That's a fair question. But consider this. If you get pulled over tonight on your way home for speeding or reckless driving and, and the, the police officer walks up to your car window and, and you say, but officer, I didn't murder anyone tonight. Are you going to be able to get out of a ticket? Or if you punch me in the nose and steal my wallet, is it no big deal as long as you paid your taxes? You're still guilty. You're still guilty, and that's the problem. Or see, our problem is that you and I are not as innocent as we think we are. And James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the entire law, yet stumbles at one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. None of us have perfectly kept the law of God, which means none of us can be justified or acquitted. No one can be declared innocent. No one can walk free. No one can be right with God based upon our own ability to be good, moral, or upright. And Paul says, if you're relying on your own good works and you're not perfectly obeying God's law, if you're not doing everything the law requires, then you're cursed. In other words, every one of us stands guilty before God. We stand under the curse of the law given to us by the sovereign judge of the universe. So what do we do? What hope do we have? How can we confidently stand before God on the day of judgment when our inability to keep the law has left us cursed? Well, if we were to have any hope at all, we need a Savior. We need one who could redeem us from the penalty of the law. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross. And He accomplished our salvation in two movements. Movement number one, Jesus fulfilled the law. The first thing that He did is He fulfilled the law. Understand, the law was a shadow of what was to come. The law was pointing to a substance. The substance being Christ Himself. The law with all of its moral codes, ceremonies, rituals, priesthood, and sacrifice was shouting, look to Christ. Look to Jesus. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 10, verse 4 that says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, Jesus came to fulfill the law and fulfill the law He did. And He did so for us. Jesus completely and perfectly obeyed the law, and as a result, Jesus alone is righteous. Jesus alone is good. Jesus alone can stand before God based on His own merit. And He's the only one that can. Jesus fulfilled the law. That's movement number one. And then movement number two, Christ removes our curse by becoming a curse. Look at verse 13. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Paul's quoting an Old Testament law for the execution of a criminal found in Deuteronomy chapter 21. I'm going to read you two verses that describe this law. It says, if anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed, and you hang his body on a tree, you're not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. See, the point of hanging the criminal on the tree was to expose his crime. To publicly humiliate this criminal. The criminal, as he was lifted up on the tree, it demonstrated to everyone who saw that this man is under God's curse. And it makes sense when we talk about a criminal being cursed, but it feels kind of off and and unsettling to the stomach to apply this to our Lord Jesus, doesn't it? But in the same way, Jesus hung on a tree, a wooded cross, just like a condemned criminal. Imagine with me for a moment just how offensive Christianity was to the Jewish people, and still is, because at the very heart of our message is a man who hung on a tree, a man who was so cursed by God that he was crucified. How in the world can you have a cursed Christ, a cursed Messiah? But when you read the writings of the apostles in the New Testament, rather than concealing this fact, the apostles drew attention to it. They were pointing everyone to this reality. Consider how Peter preached in Acts chapter 5 to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, saying, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. Peter uses this same language, this same word in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 2. And he says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Or again, when Paul, he spoke in the synagogue in Antioch in Acts chapter 13 and he described how Jesus was taken down off of a tree. It seems in in every opportunity that the apostles had when they were pointing to Jesus and preaching Christ, they went out of their way to point to the fact that our Messiah had been executed on a tree. And they also, at the same time, claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. He is the Christ. As you can imagine, the Jews saw Christianity and our message of a cursed Messiah on a cursed cross is absolute blasphemy. They couldn't understand how we could believe this message that Jesus is Lord, yet He was also executed as a criminal on a tree. They would say that Jesus is not Lord, rather He is accursed. But consider, what does it mean to be cursed? I think it's helpful to have a definition of this, and I think the best way to define what it means to be cursed is to consider what it means to be blessed. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26, there's a famous benediction. And it says, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. And so to be cursed is to have the exact opposite of this benediction. It is to have the Lord forsake you, that the Lord makes His face frown upon you, that the Lord is angry with you, that the Lord would turn His back on you and give you wrath. And this is exactly what it means to be under the curse of God because of your sin. And this is what, exactly what Jesus became for us. 
You see, when Christ took our sins upon Himself, He became accursed. He was forsaken by God who then poured His wrath upon His one and only Son for our sin. And not for His sin. He had no sin. But for ours. In a fortunate exchange, the curse we deserve was legally transferred to Christ on the cross. And the righteousness of Christ, His perfect life, His perfect ability to keep God's law was transferred to us. So what is ours became His, and what is His became ours. His death was a substitution. Jesus bore our penalty, and He faced the just wrath of God that should have been ours. And He gifted us His perfect life. And now when God looks at you, He doesn't see your mess if you are in Christ Jesus. He sees the perfect righteousness of His Son. And you can stand confidently before Him. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. That He made Him, the One who did not know sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And this was Christ's experience on the cross. This was always the plan. This has been the plan. This was the plan of redemption was carried out. And understand that this plan of redemption was carried out in complete unison of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. On that old cursed cross, we see the wrath of God against the sin of humanity. Yet on that same cursed cross, we see the power of divine grace as God endured God's own curse to save us from our sin. God endured God's own curse to save us. Consider what we read just moments ago in Isaiah 53, verses 5-6. through says that He was pierced because of our rebellion. Crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him. And we were healed by His wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished Him for the iniquity of us all. The love of Christ is amazing. He was crucified to remove the curse. And now, since we are no longer subject to the death penalty of the law, we can receive the promise of the Gospel. So look back at verse 14 of Galatians 3. And we'll finish our text here. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised Spirit through faith. In other words, all of God's blessings come by grace through faith in the crucified Christ. It is through our cursed Christ that the nations, not just one group of people, but the nations receive forgiveness for their sins. It is through our cursed Christ that we are accepted by God's justifying grace. It is through our cursed Christ that we receive the promised Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is what happened on the cross. God acted in Christ to save us from the curse. And the only way that we can be right with God is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Friends, works do not work. Don't trust in your own obedience. Don't trust in your good intentions. Don't trust in your religious pedigree. Don't even trust in your trusting. Just trust in the cursed Christ who hung on the tree so that you and I could be set free from the curse we so justly deserve. Let's pray. God, we thank You for what You accomplished for us. Lord, we recognize tonight somberly, yet hopeful, what You accomplished We thank You that for all who call upon Your name and believe in our heart that You 
lived and died and rose from the grave are saved. Lord, as we move in a time of response, I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts so that we might see how it is that we shall respond, whether it's through faith in you for the first time, whether it's through repentance of sin or pursuing peace with others. I pray, Lord, that you'd make that clear to us now as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together tonight. God, we thank you for what you are doing in us and through us and in and through Mission Church. Lord, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.